Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. This is the Wednesday broadcast, and today we're talking about heaven. Ten facts about heaven. Ten biblical facts about heaven. You know, there are 175 Bible verses that talk about heaven. And so you don't want to miss the opportunity to know for sure that you are going to heaven. Stephen Thomas is a programmer in San Francisco. He has two guesses left to figure out a password that is worth about $220 million. This password will let him unlock a small hard drive known as an iron key, which contains the private keys to a digital wallet that holds 7,000 Bitcoin. Now, the problem is, is that years ago, Mr. Thomas lost a paper where he wrote down the password for his iron key, which gives users 10 guesses before it seizes up and it encrypts it and its contents forever. You know, he has since tried eight of his most commonly used password formulations to no avail. Thomas said, I would just lie in bed and think about it. Then I would go to the computer with some new strategy, and it wouldn't work, and I would be desperate again. You see, Bitcoin has made a lot of history, and a lot of its holders are very rich, and they became very rich in a short time. But cryptocurrencies, unusual nature, has also meant that many people are locked out of their Bitcoin fortunes as a result of a lost or forgotten keys. They have been forced to watch hopelessly as the price has risen or fallen sharply, unable to cash in on their digital wealth. Of the existing 18.5 million Bitcoin, around 20%, currently worth about $140 billion, appear to be lost or in stranded wallets. As a result, people are stressed out about this. One Bitcoin user who is locked out of his account says, I don't want to be reminded every day of just what I lost. You know, I think about this, and I think about the future. A lot of people are going to be locked out of heaven, and they're going to spend the rest of eternity regretting that they have been locked out, that they are lost. But I want to give you some hope. I want you to know that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be born again. 1 Peter 5, 4 tells us that when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. You know, B.B. King, I don't know if you're into the blues, but B.B. Um, King died back in 2015, and he had a take on heaven and hell. And this is what he said. I don't know what happens after this life. I haven't had my mother or anybody else come back and tell me, I think hell is hell on earth, and heaven to me is a beautiful lady in enjoyment with her. But if there is a hereafter, I wish I could go there. Well, you know, the Bible is very clear. It is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Very emphatic. It's not an if. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You will be born again. You will be saved. You will go to heaven. So let's talk about biblical facts about heaven. You know, you search the internet and you will find that many people are talking about heaven. 
However, even in Christian circles, there are some who do not believe that heaven is a real place. But John 6.44 says, There is only one way for you to see heaven, and Jesus Christ is the one and only access to it. Now, you may say, well, I'm an atheist, or I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in God. Well, God doesn't give up his belief in you. He believes that you can be born again. In Romans chapter 9, it tells us that we are mere humans, and who are we to argue with God? I love how Paul puts this, right? He says, now, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? God created you uniquely. And God created you even with that desire to know him. That's why we are grasping to find meaning in life. It was Vance Havner who says, God created in the hearts of every human being a God-shaped void. If you fill that void with things, they will disappoint you. You can try to fill it with accomplishment. You can try to fill it with people. You can try to fill it with all kinds of fun and exciting things, but they will always leave you empty. Only Christ can fill that void. Your life will be radically changed if you put your faith and trust in Christ. Well, let's look at 10 biblical facts about heaven. Fact number one is that heaven is God's home, and he existed before his creation. Okay, God existed before creation. Heaven is where God resided before he created mankind. So we could say heaven is God's home, and it existed before we were created. Isaiah 57, 17. I dwell in a holy high place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly, to receive the heart of the contrite. For thus says the Lord, I am high and lifted up. I inhabit in eternity, and I inhabit heaven. My name is holy. So as you look at these passages of Scripture, I put a couple of them together. Isaiah 57, 17, Psalm 90, 1 through 4, and Psalm 100, verse 5, is talking about the fact that heaven is God's home. And heaven existed before the creation as we know it existed. I'm talking about earth and all who reside within the earth. Here's a second fact about heaven. Before creation, God's Son and the Holy Spirit lived in heaven with God. Let's take way back to the beginning of John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So we know that the Word in this passage of Scripture is talking about Jesus himself. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, or Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. John 5, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So here we learn that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are all in heaven. Right now, Jesus is on the right hand of God the Father. And he is interceding on our behalf. I'm so glad that he is, right? 
So when we pray and our prayer feels like it's going nowhere, and sometimes our words are jumbled and confused, it is Jesus who gives that prayer to his Father. And he reminds his Father who is coming before him. He reminds his Father that this is coming from one of your children. We are a child of God when we're born again. So we've learned so far that heaven is God's home. It existed before his creation. Heaven is also the place where Jesus is, the Holy Spirit is, and God the Father is. Number three, heaven is real. God created it. Now let's look at Genesis 1, 1 through 8. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, now don't you love that Spirit of God hovering over the face of the water? So we know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in creation. And God said, let there be light. Now listen, when God speaks something, it takes place. He just speaks it into existence. All God says, hey, let there be light, and poof, there was light. God saw that the light was good. And then God separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there were evening, and there was morning the first day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and he separated the heavens that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And it was evening and morning the second day. So here we see that heaven is real, God created heaven. Now, this is talking about the heavenly skies, but it's also implying that there's a second and a third heaven as we see what John says about it and we see what Paul says about it. So heaven is a real place. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. So heaven is still under construction, even today. It is ever-expanding. God is doing an amazing work in heaven. I can't wait to go to heaven. I am looking forward to heaven. There's some things here that I really want to stay here and enjoy. I, I kind of feel like Paul and off a lot of times. I, he says, I'm betwixt between the two, right? Man, I want to go to heaven. That'd be much better for me. But I also want to stay here on earth because I have some people that I want to invest in, and I have some people that I want to share the gospel with, and I can't do that when I go to heaven. And so I want to stay here on earth as long as God has a purpose for me. But the moment that my purpose is done, man, I want to go up to heaven. I was thinking about George Whitfield the other day. I was listening to a program about the life of George Whitfield, and he was involved in the uh, Great Awakening back in the 1700s, toward the end of the 1700s in our nation. And an amazing man of God, he preached revivals, and, and he's from Massachusetts and buried up there in Northampton, Massachusetts. But he was preaching one time at the Old North Church in Boston. And if you know uh, your revolutionary American history, You know a little bit about Boston, you know a little bit about the Old North Church, but he was preaching one day there, and uh, there were some people that wanted to hear him preach. They lived in Maine, and we're going to travel down to Boston. Well, the trip took him a little bit longer. Of course, that was the uh, horse and buggy day, right? It took him a little longer to get there, so they finally made it to the Old North Church, and by the time they got there, uh, the service was over. Everybody was home. Uh, It was getting late at night, and George Whitfield was staying there on the uh, the church premises. They had a, a what they would call a prophet's chamber. And every time they would have a guest minister come in, he would spend a night 
at the prophet's chambers. And they knew where the prophet's chamber was. And so uh, this group from Maine so wanted to hear Whitfield preach. So they pounded on his door and woke him up. And George Whitfield was exhausted, preached all day. But he said to these people who traveled so far to hear him, he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to light my candle and I'll give you a message and I'll preach as long as the candle is burning. Once the candle burns out, I'm done, okay? And so they were very satisfied with that. And, and George Whitfield preached and he preached until the candle went out. Well, unbeknownst to George Whitfield, within the next day, he was going to die. You see, he committed his life to preaching till the candle went out. As long as he was able to let that light shine, he was going to keep on preaching. You know, the same ought to be true in our lives. We ought to be constantly sharing the gospel wherever we go. As long as there is breath in our lungs, we ought to be sharing Christ with our loved ones, sharing Christ because heaven is real. And I don't know about you, but I want as many people as possible to go to heaven. I got thinking about how much you have to really dislike somebody. I mean, how much you have to really hate somebody to not want them to go to heaven. I mean, that's pretty cruel. You have to really hate somebody if you don't want them to go to heaven. That's why we share the gospel, because we don't want anyone to be separated from God forever. So heaven is real. Heaven was created before creation or it was around before creation. It's constantly being expanded. Heaven is God's home. And then number four, Jesus Christ came down to the earth from heaven. Now, let's look at a couple of passages on this. First one is John 1, 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right? And then Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus is not talking about physical bread and physical water. He's talking about spiritual bread and spiritual water, right? But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Isn't that great news? You see, nobody is going to be kept from going to heaven because they wanted to go. Only those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit are the ones that are not going to be in heaven. Jesus says, I came down from heaven, verse number 38, John chapter 6, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus was in heaven before he came to earth. Jesus has always existed. He didn't begin his existence when he came to the earth. He came to the earth and took on the form of a man. Verse number 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but rise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise him up on that last day. Now, as I look at this, this is an amazing passage right here. Jesus came down from the earth to heaven. 
He fulfilled the mission that God had for him. And as he's getting ready to go back up into heaven, we are reminded that if we believe in him, we have eternal life and we will be raised up with him on the last day. I believe that's talking about the rapture of the church that will be raised up with him in the last days. Some people say, well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. I had one of my church members correct me on that because I said that. The concept is there, but he says, you know that word caught up, that little phrase caught up in Latin is rapture. So the rapture is found in the Bible. We're going to be caught up, raised up with him on that last day. We can also look at other passages, but I think that will suffice it to know that Jesus the Christ came down to earth from heaven. Number five, Jesus went back to heaven when he rose from the dead. Now let's look at Luke chapter five. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. He's got his disciples. He's leading them out into Bethany and he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. Now, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This is the ascension of Christ going up to heaven. This is after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. He's here on the earth, and now he's going to ascend up into heaven. Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, these disciples saw Jesus ascend up to heaven, and they go back to Jerusalem, and they just overwhelmed with joy, and they start blessing God, and they start worshiping God. Amazing, right? There's other passages that talk about it. You can also look at Psalm 68, 18, and, and Acts 1, 1 through 9 gives the account of the ascension of Christ. I want you to know that Jesus went back to heaven when he rose again from the dead, and that's where he is today. Number six. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. He is the majesty in heaven. Let me read Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in a true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now, if we were appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, we'd probably bring a different gift. But if he doesn't offer up a gift, he's not a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Verse number five, they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect a tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, Paul is giving us a lot of information here, but the point is that Jesus is now at the right hand of God, reminding God, not that God needs it, right? But reminding him that he, Jesus, is the high priest, and he offered himself up as a sacrifice. And Jesus is reminding us that the Old Testament sacrificial system was not able to cover sins. It was a flawed system. 
They were putting a sacrifice on an altar, but that animal was insufficient. He said, well, why were they doing it? They were doing it as a statement of faith, believing that one day the Messiah was going to come, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. That's why we do not see, for the most part, animal sacrifices taking place, even in Judaism. There are some sects that still do it, but for the most part, they are no longer offering animal sacrifices. And some would say it's because the temple fell in AD 70, but really, the reason is because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. So Jesus is now at the right hand of God. He's in heaven. And there's something else about heaven. Heaven is where believers go when we leave this planet. I guess you could say heaven is our real home. Paul weighs in on this subject in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, that is, we die, right? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Don't you relate to that verse? In this tent, in this body, we groan, right? If indeed by putting on, uh, we may now be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, don't miss and confuse this verse. Paul is saying that in order for us to get eternal life, this mortal life must end. Verse number five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So when we were born again, we had the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we have this guarantee that is given to us. And I know a lot of people are kind of leery to get too involved in the teaching about the Holy Spirit because uh, we're afraid that something crazy is going to happen. But I found that the more spirit-controlled I am, uh, the more controlled I become. I don't do crazy things when I'm spirit-controlled. I do crazy things when I'm not spirit-controlled. So Paul says, because the Spirit is the guarantor of our inheritance, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in our body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. I love how Paul puts this together. He says it doesn't matter if we're in heaven or here. We should be pleasing God no matter where we are. The Spirit is residing within us. The Holy Spirit is residing within us. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. We've still got a couple more points to make. And number eight, believers can look forward to a new heaven. It is the blessed hope in a perfect place. Now, I want to look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. The sea is no more. So in heaven, there's no sea. This earth has passed away that we live on now. There's a new heaven and a new earth. I saw that holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Aren't you glad that in heaven, the former things are passed away? Well, we didn't quite finish up. So join me for the first part of the broadcast tomorrow. And I'll give you the last two components of what heaven is going to be like. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, as we look at a brand new opportunity, a brand new opportunity to serve the Lord, I want to pray for you today. And if I can pray specifically for you, would you shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365? 252-267-2365. And I'll be happy to pray for you. If you're interested in Hickory Ridge Academy, either teaching or enrolling your student, your child, or your grandchild, we would love to talk to you about that. You can call the church office directly, or you can go to our website. There's a link to HRA. Go to hrcc7.org, and uh, you can get that link to the Academy, Hickory Ridge Academy. I so appreciate you joining me today. And again, I'm going to give you that number one more time. If you have a prayer request, or if I can help you in any other way, 252 267 2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.